Welcome to season three of Under the Sisterhood, Women Making the World Healthier. We'll be featuring a series on investing in women's health, showcasing five powerhouse investors and venture capitalists over the next five weeks. Our conversations will focus on many different aspects of women's health and wellness. We'll examine women's health in general, sexual health, reproductive health, and menopause, and what it means to invest in them. This is a podcast to celebrate women and all that they do in our world. I'm Elizabeth Elfenbein. Let's get under the hood. Today, we're getting under the hood of Carly Saper, a daughter, sister, friend, women's advocate, and the Forbes 30 Under 30 founding partner of Amboy Street Ventures, an early stage VC fund dedicated to women's health and sexual health startups. Carly has an affinity for startups in the women's health and sexual health landscape due to personal health experiences. She is also the founder of the female-founded club FFC, a global platform that introduces VC investors to high-quality female-founded startups. While running the FFC, she recognized the lack of venture capital flowing to the women's health and sexual health market and that it's stunting the growth of startups that tackle significant health problems for all genders. Carly founded Amboy Street Ventures to initiate a shift in the funding landscape that until now dictated the innovation in the women's health and and sexual health space. Carly has a background in private equity and engineering. Welcome, Carly. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have this conversation for so many reasons. First and foremost, season three is all about uh, women making the world healthier. And I have been fascinated with the women and the quality of women in the VC space, the small group, but really powerful group of women VCs. Um, and what I love about it is that you're investing back in women. So if it's okay, why don't we get going? Yeah, sure. So before starting Amboy Street, I was in private equity Um, and I was the only woman in North America on the deal team for a bit there. And so I joined a lot of women investor networks to help get camaraderie in the industry. A lot of my friends were starting companies and raising money. And I started introducing my investor friends and my founder friends and was able to help my friends raise capital. Um, and when I learned that only 2% of venture capital funding goes to female founders, I decided to try to make a bigger difference by starting an online platform, the Female Founding Club that you'd have mentioned to help female founders raise money. Um, And this platform grew really quickly on its own. No uh, marketing dollars. I was self-funding and it was really scrappy, but it ended up helping over a thousand female founders raise money from over 500 VCs. And while I was running this platform, I kept seeing amazing women's health companies I'm, you mentioned this also in the intro, but I have my own women's health issues. And um, when I saw founders who had very similar stories to me, but they found a solution that worked for them, a solution they couldn't find on their own in the healthcare system and wanted to bring that solution to the masses, I completely identified with those companies and started angel investing into those companies. So that was the first entrance. And then it took a little bit from there to get to Amboy Street and happy to go into that. Well, I think, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And and that's extraordinary. I love the fact that you found it. You saw an empty space or an unmet need and you founded that club. And, and the fact that you were able to impact what you said, a thousand women, women founders connecting them. That's to correct. 
500 VCs. I mean, that's amazing, that that kind of number. And I don't want to um, embarrass Carly or anything, but you heard me mention that she's Forbes under 30. So she's not even 30 yet. And she's she's seen this 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 challenge and, and saw the opportunity to affect change um, at such a young age. So that's just, that's brilliant in my mind. But I kind of want to take a step back because you know, we did we did mention that you were an engineer, and it would be great to sort of understand your journey that got you from engineering, whether it started in school into where you are today, because I think it's really interesting the way you've pivoted. So I started my career, I mean, I went to college and in high school, I always had an affinity for math. I'm much more a math minded person than English or history or languages or art. I felt like I had just like two options, go into engineering or go into finance. And as an 18 year old, I decided to go into engineering. Um, I always tell kids that are going to college and trying to figure out a major that you just try your best to choose, but it's not going to dictate the rest of your life because it really doesn't. You can pivot. So anyway, I went into engineering. I studied civil and environmental engineering at the University of Virginia, um, graduated and came went to New York City where I worked for a, a civil environmental engineering firm. Um, but while I was in New York, a ton of my friends were in finance and um, I gravitated towards trying to understand how the projects I was working on were getting funded and ultimately decided to go to a financial advisory firm that was structuring the deals of these engineering projects and renewable energy projects. And they were helping private equity funds invest into the projects that I had been working on as an engineer. And ultimately, one of my clients, one of the private equity funds hired me to be on their deal team. So that was the transition between engineering and private equity. So I'd love to for you to share with the audience your journey to your journey from private equity to to founding Amboy Ventures. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I was the only woman in my private equity firm for for a while in North America, um, and what, went to all sorts of women investor um, networking events in New York City, and I love meeting and understanding what other people were investing in. I personally didn't find the infrastructure that I was investing in to be particularly interesting. And so I was thinking like across the investing board, because I did like investing, um, what other asset classes are interesting? Um, and when my friends started raising money for their startups, entrepreneurship has always drawn, um, I've always been drawn to entrepreneurship. I think it's amazing that people get to pour their heart into their passion and, and build a company that can impact the world. I knew I needed to learn more about venture capital. So I thought the first entrance, let me create something that's useful in this space. Let's help my friends who are female founders and their networks raise money for my friends who are investors and the female founders club existed. And that was a hobby. So I was still in private equity full-time, but running the female founded club at night, um, no business model. So I couldn't figure out how to make that a profitable anything. And I didn't know did I want to as because I wanted as many VC funds to be on the platform as possible and as many founders to be on the, on the platform as possible. I didn't want to create any barriers with costs. And so it was really just a hobby and a learning experience for me. Um, saw a ton of deal flow. I understood, started to understand what VC investors were looking for. And then I started angel investing my own money. So got even more in the weeds of angel investing and ultimately some of the people that were following my deal flow on the Female Founded Club platform saw that I was angel investing and asked if they could come in and co-invest alongside of my investments. And so I was setting up special purpose vehicles, so mini funds just to invest in one deal. So if I was investing in a specific deal, I'd open up this mini fund and ask who wants to come in 
and was able to actually raise a couple hundred thousand dollars in each SPV that I opened. And I realized that this is a bigger opportunity to step away from, from PE and focus on raising a larger fund to really invest into women's health and sexual health companies. And at first I thought maybe a fund for female founded companies, but if I looked at my angel track record, every company I had invested in was a women's health company or a sexual health company. Um, that's where my nature, my interest just lies. And so I thought, well, let's call it what it is. It's going to be a women's health and a sexual health fund. I'm really curious, like, so now that you're in, in this very specific women's health and sexual health arena, becoming a VC, being in the financial industry, it's about making money, but there does seem to me a real purpose in what you're doing. So like that passion and that purpose of really supporting and investing in women, not just making money. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on that? Sure. So I think I'm in a unique position where some of the most impactful investments will also return the most money. So mission-oriented will still be a huge investment opportunity. I mean, we know that female founders produce better returns than male founders. And something that's amazing about the women's health space is that there are completely under-innovated areas like we've never seen in other industries. So this is a VC fund. We're looking at what are the current needs and what new innovation can fill them. And that is a way to get really promising returns rather than a VC fund who's looking at, insert buzzword here, <laughs> crypto or AI or metaverse. And they're really trying to, to trying to figure out what are the future needs and what technology today could solve them. We're different, I mean, that's a risky, that's really risky. Instead, if you say, what are the current needs in women's health and what technology is going to fit that, that is a, just a different type of investing that in my opinion, de-risks our thesis and will produce um, outsized returns. I think what's interesting is you're investing in things that are needed. One would argue that, do we need crypto? You know, do, like, do we need, like, what is the need ratio? So when, when you think of the de-risking, you're also just doing, like, women's health has not been invested in. So if you get the right type of technology, we have all these problems and challenges that both need shedding light on and need solving for. So if you get that founder to come in with the ideal solution, or at least a solution that is an early stage MVP, where you can start to see it solving a real world problem. I mean, that's, that's you know, back to investing, mission oriented investing, right? Exactly. I think that's so, you know, so it's interesting to hear you. I, I like the way you sort of told that story, but there's something, I don't know, like from the moment I met you, it seems like there's something, this mission-oriented investing seems fascinating to me. Was it, is it something that has just has sort of come out organically, or do you feel that leaving the PE world and going into the VC world with this focus has been mission-oriented intentionally? Yeah, it was definitely intentional. When I was in private equity, I did not feel aligned with the investments I was making. Not that I was against them. I just didn't feel passionate about it at all. Um, and it was hard to spend 10 to 15 hours a day working on something that you don't feel any emotional tie to. And so when I was thinking about if I leave private equity and go do something else, it has to be something that's going to make me want to get up every day and go to work every day. And so I think that the moment a VC fund loses like that, I think it's employees are less happy. The investment thesis can be really hard to follow and stick to. So in my opinion, that's kind of the magic that makes something work is the passion. 
And I think making a difference and especially making a difference in women's health is, uh, for me, fills that need. Talk about some of your early choices and why you chose them and how they're doing. I mean, <laughs> your, your portfolio is pretty rich. And so what was exciting to you about them and what is it doing for women's health? My very first investment was Dame Products. So not only did we do Dame Products seed round, the first investment out of Amboy Street, we also then a year and a half later led their series A round and it was the first deal we ever led. This is a um, female sexual pleasure company. And I think the reason why there's a huge lack of education and sexual health is the stigma around female sexual pleasure. And so I get excited about companies that are destigmatizing this space and bringing female sexual pleasure products and solutions to the mainstream. So that was our very first investment. And um, so while pleasure is one of our six verticals, we also look at things like menopause, where I know you've interviewed Kamel at her MD, um, but they are an OBGYN franchise offering brick and mortar and telehealth for menopause and sexual health. And the statistic that only 20% of OBGYNs are educated on menopause is wild. Um, I think that it's an obvious need. So many people I know are excited about her MD and just waiting for the day they come to the to their cities. So um, it goes from menopause. We invested in um, EVI, which is the vaginal microbiome testing and care company. Um, Priyanka was actually just on Bloomberg speaking about the inequities in women's health. I was watching that this morning and felt really inspired. Um, but we also invest in male sexual health and um, LGBTQ plus health. So we've invested in a male birth control company called Contraline. This is a hydrogel that blocks the vas deferens and so it does not allow the sperm to meet the semen um, and will be a contraception for uh, at least a year. And they're going through the FDA approval process right now. So as you're thinking like of, of you know, Amboy uh, Street um, the, uh, Ventures, how are you imagining like, here we are today, you have nine investments, you have great companies. What are you like, what are you sort of thinking about your future in, in relationship to investing and to your company in terms of where you're going? Yeah. So this is just the beginning. So we closed fund one in February of this year at $20 million. Um, we're going to make about 20 investments out of that fund. So still have quite a few investments to deploy, but the idea is that we will continue to raise bigger and bigger funds and bring more and more capital to this severely underfunded space. Talk to me a little bit about like where women's funds are. Oh, that's okay. So, cause I would say it's a different answer for both, but 20 million is definitely still considered a micro fund. We're okay. still on the smaller end as far as the general VC world. Um, but I'd say all of us, women's health funds, and there's like six or seven of us, not very many. And I, I think you're talking to the majority of us, um, but we're all, I think, sub a hundred million. Um, so we're all small funds, but I think we're all kind of growing and coming up together. And I think most of us have the intention of continuing to raise bigger and bigger funds and driving more capital to the space. Um, I also think that as we see more unicorns in the women's health space, which we've already seen a number of, but more and more every year, not only women's health funds will be investing major dollars into the space, but also the generalist funds that will see the opportunity. Like the, the investors will just um, follow the returns. 
what I have heard is that that the Women's Health Fund struggled to get bigger. And so have you like when you go and you look for for um, different funding vehicles, are you having that same sort of hurdle? Is that something you see as universal? I think raising a first time venture capital fund is difficult. There's other factors that make it even more difficult if you're in the women's health and sexual health space. For example, a lot of investors won't invest in um, anything that has to do with abortion access. So there's a couple of categories of limited partners, which are investors that invest in VC funds. And um, there's family offices, there's high net worth individuals, there's um, institutional investors, which can be corporate banks and then investing off their balance sheet. It can be pension funds. Um, and it depends on who the stakeholders of the of the entity is. If it's a conservative family office, unlikely that they'd be investing in, a co- we, we have invested in abortion access and we've invested in contraception and we plan to invest in LGBTQ plus health. So likely they will not be a target investor. Um, but even a family office is really well known and not necessarily conservative will be nervous about headline risk with having their name in a headline next to vibrator abortion access. Then we look at the pension funds. They have so many stakeholders. Um, have you heard of the vice clause? Has this come up? No, I have not heard of the vice clause. This is sometimes an LP or a limited partner will send us their agreement with a vice clause in it, which says like you can invest this capital into any space, but not um, like drugs, alcohol, sex. <laughs> and so for us, that's a problem. And then abortion access can be in there. Contraception can be in there. Um, and so those LPs are immediately, we can't take their capital. And so I would say it's hard enough to raise a first-time fund. It's even harder when you have a lot of LPs that are can't invest in these areas. Um, that being said, I think the investors that are backing Amboy Street are incredible. And I feel so lucky to have them as our supporters. We have more than 50% of our LPs are women. 50, about 50% of our LPs are men who are very supportive of the category. And um, it's a great group of really of family offices and high net worth individuals. That's fantastic. And thank you for that, um, that explanation, because that really, that's really educational. And it, it makes me think just hearing that, that you, that you've gone into a category that you believe in so passionately which you're going to have obstacles and, but you're willing to keep going in that direction because you know, it's needed. And so that really needs to be applauded. I have to say, you know, good on you for doing that (laughs) because you you know, you're not going to, you're not going to attract everyone and that's okay. Right. It's about, it's about getting the right fit. Wow. So this is, this is interesting. So what are you, you know, and I haven't really asked anyone else this um, because your journey has been different and maybe shorter. I'm really curious with the you know the the mission purpose investing in women and in sexual health, what do you do in your private life? What are the things that get you excited that you know just sort of help define you as well? I spend my time between um, Manhattan Beach and Jackson Hole, Wyoming. <laughs> I moved to Jackson during the pandemic um, because I really need nature in my life, and in the time I couldn't get that in LA. The cops were patrolling beaches, the hikes were closed. And so I thought, where in the world could I, or where in the country could I go where um, I probably can go on a hike without anyone bothering me? And so I went to Wyoming and it's true, everything was open. And then the ski mountain was open even during COVID. So I was able to go skiing a bunch. 
Um, and so I actually started the fund out in Wyoming um, in a space there. And we do our annual meetings there and we have our founders all come out to Wyoming. But I absolutely love and fell in love with Jackson Hole and hope that it'll be a part of my life forever. Um, but at the same time, I love the beach and I love LA and I love the ecosystem, like the venture ecosystem that exists here. Um, so yeah, both have been um, defining and, and wonderful. And that's thank you for sharing that. I love the fact that you went out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, because the other side is about wellness and well-being. So in order to be able to show up as your best self, just being out in nature and doing all of that is just so important. So that's fantastic. I'm just so so this is a platform. I mean, this is your your story, how you got into becoming a VC and and what you're investing in and how you're investing is it, fascinating. This is a platform, though, for women um, and for women around the world of all ages, of all backgrounds. I'd love for you to give a message, Carly. What would you want to say to them? This is your opportunity to let them know investment related, not investment related, what you want to communicate. Well, one thing I did want to talk about on here is the mentorship I felt while building Amboy Street. I don't know if this is the message I want to communicate, but I wanted to make sure to mention this on the podcast is that I've had incredible um, women mentors while building Amboy Street that I, I really never felt earlier in my career. And let me circle back to the your point because I want to I do want to address that. And this is not addressing that. But I just wanted to, to speak about how in engineering and in financial advisory and how private equity, I never had female mentorship and actually never had a mentorship really. Um, I did not feel like I really had mentorship and um, starting Amboy Street um, and being in the women's health and sexual health space, it's, we are investing, I think um, eight out of nine of the companies we've invested in are female founded companies, 50% of our LPs are women just surrounded by powerhouse women, um, successful women. And um, there's been a few that have actually significantly changed the path of Amboy Street by leaning in and giving their support. And so it's just, it's a wonderful community. Um, I know you're seeing that as you're part of it. And I want to say thank you to the mentors I have. And hopefully as I, as I get older, I can be able to pass that along. So I want to, you know, thank you for bringing that up. And it didn't come up naturally in the conversation, but you're right. I mean, you know, and I'm sorry that you didn't have mentors along the journey until now, but now to have the mentors. And I think that you just hit the nail on the head, which is, you know, you want to lift the next generation up. You want to be that mentor. You're going to continue to be mentored the rest of your life because it doesn't matter what age you are. Hopefully you'll continue to grow with people around you and, and they'll, they'll help lift you. So going back to that question now, yeah. Okay. I think actually, actually, Carly, I actually think that that was a good answer, but I think there's a bigger answer uh, as well. But I think mentorship's a huge thing and giving back. Yeah. Um, I would say like, if I could talk, to like my younger self or people that are in my shoes when I was younger, I would say that like your career is fluid and it's e easy to, if you're not happy, it's easy to make a pivot. And I think you'll, if you're like me, you'll probably be the happiest in a career that's aligned with your values and your passions. And it's not, if you're in a field that's nowhere close to your values and your passions, I think that there is still a channel to get there. And I think it'll make waking up every day, exciting and wonderful to go to work. And so if, if there's a way to get there, I think, I mean, I think there is a way to get there um, if you're not there yet. 
um, still learning about what about managing a VC fund that maybe I would like to hand off to somebody else versus keep on my plate. Um, but I think it's a never ending journey of really fine tuning your days to make sure it's doing what you want to do. And really, when I was in um, financial advisory and private equity, I, I didn't realize that until I moved from New York City to LA, where all my friends are entrepreneurs and working on what they're passionate about, that I realized that there really is a path to get there. You're doing work that aligns to your values. And so, you know, whether that's your purpose, your mission, but if it aligns to your values, you're going to find it's going to be very rewarding. Thank you so much. Can I ask you, what is your advice when you, have you done this on a podcast before? What is your advice to the oh, no to one younger asked. self or to the women out oh. there? You know, that's a great question. My advice to probably women around the world would be to having things you're passionate about, to finding yourself and allowing yourself to be your authentic self and not worrying about what everybody else thinks, like really looking within. And so one of the other things I've been espousing is that when women feel good within, they're more likely to help the next woman. And then once you're feeling good and you have a great sense of self, your self-awareness, your, your, your self-care regimens, your self, you know, your self-expression, how you advocate and give voice to your ideas, then you're ready for sisterhood. Don't live in regret. Like live now, live in, be in the present, work hard, do the right thing. Life's a journey. That's amazing. I love that. Thanks so much. As I said, I really look forward to watching you just do amazing things. And the world's very lucky to have you, Carly. Thank you. And I'm really excited to learn more about Under the Sisterhood and, um, and be more involved because I think it's an incredible organization. Thank you for putting it together. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Under the Sisterhood. If you haven't already, please give us a quick rating and review on Apple or Spotify. And make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn so you can hear from more amazing women. This podcast is created and hosted by Under the Sisterhood LLC and Elizabeth Elfenbein, produced by Elizabeth Elfenbein and Matt Butler and edited by Matt Butler. The music is by Ayla Schaefer, her song, Rose.